Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Did you catch a Hall of Fame broadcaster, sports broadcaster? Bob Costas and his opposition to men and women's sports. He says it's common sense. I'll be intrigued to share with you some of his thoughts. Might be that he's toward the end of his career. It could be that he and other people just know the differences from watching and commentating and playing years, decades of sports. I and mean, he was a primetime host for 12 Olympic Games, 30 years as a sports commentator for NBC. So we'll dive into that a little later here on the show. Also, it's Lent. Happy Lent. How's it going? It is only day two. And do you have a plan? I hope you do. If not, we have some great content on the podcast to work on picking something to do this Lent. I subscribe to figuring out what that most predominant sin is and then letting that lay the path for what we navigate as the church calls us to prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. So yesterday and today here on the program, we're taking a deep dive into almsgiving. Today, connecting almsgiving to the spiritual and corporal works of mercy. So stay with me. Joining me today is fashion designer, author, books on the fusion between Catholicism and our faith when it comes to clothing and how we view ourselves as women. Lillian Fallon's here with me today, and this is a fun and different twist today. I'm in the season of clothes just being challenging. I've spent four, the last four years either in nursing clothes or in pregnancy clothes and then didn't really buy anything for postpartum and nursing. So it's just kind of been a frustration for my wardrobe. And I'm really, I really haven't bought anything over the last five years for my wardrobe. And so my question that I think many of us have as women is what are some of those essential things you should have in your wardrobe to keep it looking fresh, no matter the season in life that you're in? Joining me now is Lillian Fallon to answer that question. Welcome, Lillian. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to this topic because I know I need the tips and a lot of people are asking the same question and maybe we'll even touch on how to do it on a budget as well. Girl, yes. I had the exact same problem when I was in New York because I had a wardrobe full of crazy standout pieces, but <laughs> I, I still felt like I had nothing to wear. I was like, how do I still struggle in the morning getting dressed? So I figured out some things, some tips for how to <laughs> to uh, create a foundation to your wardrobe. I appreciate that because I do. I've always kind of had a little bit of a bright and maybe a tad more eclectic taste, and a lot of it doesn't go with other things. And so, if you've had your wardrobe for a long time, it's difficult to, to pair. I admire yes. and sometimes wish I had that neutral tone to clothing, and I I just can't fully get myself to go there. So, what are some of those I essentials? <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. So. I want to say, let's start with the feet because the shoes you wear really determines the rest of the outfit. 
And I would say that the thing that consistently helps me throughout the week is brown knee-high boots, which is sort of weird because you would think, oh, a black pair of maybe Chelsea boots. But I found that for me and my friends that we consistently go to the brown boots that are sort of knee-high. Sometimes there's a little heel and sometimes they're flat. But what you end up doing is wearing them with dresses. You end up wearing them with, you know, tights in the winter, Mm -hmm. um, skirts, or if you have pants, you tuck in the pants, you, and they immediately elevate the whole outfit and make you look a little bit more pulled together because it's a cute little leather boot. Um, Yes, I so so agree with this. This is a great first one. And you know what's funny is that's the one thing in my wardrobe. I'm like, well, at least I have my boots on and my outfit looks nice. The worst, though, is when you go somewhere in the winter and they ask you to take (laughs) off your shoes. And I'm like cringing and putting up a fight. You're like, get ready there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the like the fitting room um, of a store I used to work at. Whenever people took off their boots, it was like you needed to wear a gas mask. It was rough. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I would say those boots. DSW has a lot. Madewell has a bunch. Everlane. And then I would lastly say Etsy or eBay is a really good route to go if you want to go vintage. Awesome. So you're saying if you're looking for the boots, DSW, Madewell, you say Everlane? Yes. Everlane is a really fun option for things that are very like high quality, still in a reasonable price point but also have a little bit of a vintage flair to it. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. And I learned a number of years ago, and I also have a benefit because my husband comes from a family of cobblers who moved here from Lebanon. And so we have family shoe businesses and a question repair in the family. And so I get my boots repaired uh, often, but I end up buying a pricier pair of boots about, oh, goodness, it's been 10 or 11 years ago now. I was actually gifted them. And you know what? I just get them resold over and over again. Yes. A little bit. And even if I was paying more for it, it would be less than what I would be paying for a new pair of boots every one or two years. Amen to that. I have a pair of 1980s boots, the brown ones. I wear them nonstop. The heel just ripped off of them. I got to go to the cobbler and get it fixed. When you find quality items that are well-made and especially leather items, those will last you for like 20 plus years. Yes, I love it. Okay, so start with the shoes, brown knee, high boots. Okay, I'm there, but I mm-hmm. think the next parts are the challenges for me. So what are your other closet yes. essentials for keeping that wardrobe fresh? So you know what? This might be a curveball, and it's a curveball for me because black wide leg pants have become something that I cannot stop wearing and that I want to wear with every single outfit because I think that they create this really elegant silhouette because they look very graceful and long and chic, but they're so comfy and you can wear them with like a button up, like say a silk button up and you can wear that to work or you could wear that to church. Um, You could throw a blazer on it or you could have fun and put like a tank top or a little t-shirt and then the outfit has a bit of that balance of a formal and then casual. Uh, So I've been wearing black wide leg pants for a long time. And another curveball is that I found them from American Eagle Outfitters. And I've been looking (laughs) for a pair for so long. Ones that, you know, kind of they fit your hips, but don't, they aren't so tight that you're uncomfortable. Um, So the ones at American Eagle Outfitters, I don't know, something that they're doing over there, doing it right. So are we going for a high waist or not? 
You know, I would recommend a mid, like a mid rise for that because then you can get a little bit more creative with the dressing up and dressing down because if they're high-waisted, they come across more formal. And if they're super low, it looks like you're from the early 2000s. But if you get a (laughs) mid rise, it's kind of that sweet spot. Okay, so mid-rise, black, wide-leg pants. I'm challenged when it comes yes. to pants in long dresses because I'm short, but this is where I've had to embrace. I really learned that, and my mom always said that, it's not a matter of like you not being able to wear something style-wise. It's a matter of it just needing to fit your body. And so I've had to just yes. embrace that a lot of my clothes need to be hemmed, and so clothes often take that additional expense for me because it's just the way they fit. Mm-hmm. I feel you. I'm 5'10", so it's the opposite problem where I have to go and get them elongated or I have to order the long version of something. And uh, yeah, but I found that if you're if you're shorter and you wear something that even has like a little bit of a heel to it, it creates a lot of uh, it kind of continues the line of your leg um, and it yeah creates that height. Okay, so we've got the brownie high boots, a black wide leg mm-hmm. pants, or sorry, black wide leg pants with a mid-rise. Let's talk yes. about other closet essentials. What do you have for us? Yes. Okay, so um, I would also say that a pair of light wash Levi's jeans that are more of that vintage style is also key because with the black ones, the black pants, you can end up wearing those to a lot of fancier things. But with a light wash Levi's pair, like Levi's jeans, those ones will end up being what you wear when you go out shopping, when you hang out with your girlfriends. Even if you want to go out for a date night, you could throw a pretty blouse on. And it has that timeless look to it, but still has that fashion edge to it because it is a vintage look. So I recommend a pair of Levi's. Um, and then shall we, shall we move on to some tops? I love it. Moving on to some tops. Let's do it. Okay. So definitely grab a black top in your fa- with your favorite neckline. Normally I'd be like, oh, just get a black top. But if you make sure that you're getting a neckline that is particularly flattering to, you know, your shape, it can be so confidence boosting. So for me, I really like a square neckline, but I have a friend who wears a boat neckline and oh my gosh, she looks like Audrey Hepburn whenever she wears it. And so I'd recommend getting, getting yourself a black top with a really unique neckline that you love. I know that J crew and Everlane tend to have these classic basic items, but they'll put a little flair on it depending on, you know, the season. Um, and so you can kind of have some variation there. Is Everlane, excuse, I just don't know. Is Everlane online or is Everlane yes. a shop? Okay. Both. It's both. Okay. So, Everlane started out, it's a sustainable fashion label, but they create basic items. So exactly the problem that we had when you look at your wardrobe and it's just all floral prints or leopard print and bright colors. And the problem is, okay, yeah, those things are all fun and cool, but they don't all go together. Um, So what you want to do is try and find those classic basic items that can fill those gaps in your wardrobe and really create the foundation of your wardrobe, like the backbone essentially. And so Everlane has all of those really classic pieces and they're extremely well-made because it's so annoying when you go to the store, um, like say you go to Target or Walmart and you get something that's a classic, but then within a few wears, it's falling apart. 
What I found with Everlane is that it's very well made. Like I have these kind of chino pants that are a wide leg and I've just worn them to like to smithereens, but they have not fallen apart at all. I've just, I wear them so much, but they are still really in good shape. So um, yeah, so Everlane and, and good, nice prices too. And J. Crew, my mom still stands by J. Crew always, and it's one I've not gotten into quite yet. But again, moms often, moms know where the good quality clothes are too, so it's a good place they to start do. with asking. They do. They've well. done their research. Yeah. Yes. Um, and they're and then I would true also... brands. Go ahead. Oh, yes. Agreed. Agreed. Um, on that same note, I would recommend getting a collared shirt. So I really love kind of a boyfriend fit for me personally. And I do find that on most women that I encounter, that boyfriend fit just looks amazing. It's something about it being so effortless, but also so chic and like crisp. So I recommend that in, in either white or your your favorite color. And definitely forego going to the mall for that one and just go straight to the thrift store because there are so many high quality button downs at the thrift store, like Ralph Lauren, um, really nice brand names and they're higher quality typically because they're, if they're made in the eighties, they're just better quality. So go to the thrift store for a collar, a collared shirt. And then you can wear that with your, with your pants, the, the wide leg pants, maybe. Um, or what I like to do is I like to tie it over something like I'll wear it and then I won't button it, but I'll tie it up um, and I'll wear like a dress underneath. So that's that's another must have. Excellent. And tucking it in as well as an option you mentioned, wearing it unbuttoned, yes. tying it with a top, pants. I think there's a lot of flexibility there. So you're saying white or uh -huh. your favorite for that collared shirt with a boyfriend mm -hmm. fit. And I love how each of these, it really does touch on all seasons of life. Like once you enter yeah. into your adulthood and you don't know what to look for, there you go. Here's some great professional and also just like wearable clothes that don't look like your teenage clothes that you were wearing all through college. Or if you're in any mm -hmm. other season of life, you can wear this and look put together and it's keeping you fresh and young. Also, like as women, our bodies fluctuate and change, you know, I love to find pieces that don't make me freak out if I've gained some weight or if I've lost some weight. If I have a button down, it's going to look great no matter what time of year it is. And it's going to look good no matter where, where my body is at. Um, and so I think that as women, it's important to find those items that can be flexible with our, how our body changes. And that's totally normal and good and healthy. What other tips do you have for shirts? So, um, oh, well, for shirts, definitely have fun with how you style it because with a button down, you can roll up the sleeves or pop the collar and that adds a little style change to it that personalizes it to you. So I, you'll always see me going out with all the sleeves, like rolled up really high and then, and the collar pop. Um, I would also recommend for dresses, um, my favorite wardrobe staple for dresses is a simple black loose shift dress. So I used to think that kind of the A-line form-fitting little black dress would be the thing that I'd wear the most. But I found that the black dress that's almost kind of just hangs on you and is breezy and flows a bit. That's the one that I wear the most because, first of all, it's black. So it already has that kind of 
elevated look to it. And then you can put things on top of it because with a lot of these items, the point is that you're going to style them with other things. You're going to throw a jacket over it. You're going to throw a blazer over it. Or like I said, you're going to put your favorite button down and tie it at the waist. And then you have a completely different outfit. You have these basic, simple items, but when you style them together, it's a completely different look. And you can repeat those items throughout the week and nobody would even know that you're wearing the same thing over and over. It's because you're styling it differently. So if you have something like a simple, loose fitting black dress that maybe like hits at your knees or something, you can have so much fun with putting things on top of that. Even like putting a a billowy like tank top on top and then it'll look like you're wearing a skirt with it. Um, so, so yes. And I recommend searching uh, banana Republic for that gap and even target. I've target has really upped their game lately with their items. Like I've spent a lot of time poo pooing on target, <laughs> but lately they've been really kind of impressing me with their items. So check target as well. And then I'll, of course, Everlane. And one of my favorite places that have gorgeous, simple dresses is a store that's online and it's called Dish, D-I-S-S-H. And they have the most beautiful, simple, comfortable dresses. Awesome. So you're recommending different companies, including Banana Republic, Everlane, Dish Online, and you mentioned Target as well. I'm not mm-hmm. a shopper at Target. I know a lot of people are. Do I, so I do find it just on a side oh, that's note intriguing right. yeah. that a lot yes. of people are going or that Target's like trying to up their game right now because they're trying to really pull in that customer base after a yeah, lot of save people themselves. walking away. Yeah, that just that's an true. interesting Side note, but okay, Everlane, and I'll have to check out Dish Online. These are great. Okay, do you have any mm-hmm. other pieces of uh, accessories, dresses? What are, what are some of your last tips for us? Yes. So my last tips would probably be um, a blazer. Try getting yourself a boxy blazer. I found that the ones that are super fitted, kind of circa 2000s, like when we were all wearing business wear out to parties. Do you remember that when we were like, kids and wearing like pencil skirts and blazers <laughs> that were super it was like such a weird time in our lives but so try to go for a vintage fit and that's what I, I recommend blazers from the 1980s or the 1990s and you will find a plethora of those at the thrift store I have a ridiculous addiction to vintage blazers and they're all from the thrift store and I all I paid like eight dollars or less for all of them Um, so look for a vintage blazer. I love this. I know where to go. I know what to look for. You gave a couple of the items that are easy and cheap to grab at the thrift store. You can keep your eyes peeled there as well for some of the others. But this is, I think, so helpful because for me, it's not just a matter of what do I need, but where on earth do I go? So Lillian, these have been awesome tips for sprucing up our wardrobes as women. I do want to throw a question in your direction because I got this earlier. Actually, Patrick Madrid sent it to me the other day and it had to do with navigating modesty for teens. And when I realized, Ron, I thought it would be perfect because I think that a lot of 
a lot of like parents just it's so hard to decide how to do with the current fashion trends and anyway i got this email from nikki and i want to hear your thoughts i know i have some on this and nikki emailed patrick madrid and he passed this along she's in plymouth wisconsin and she said i lead a bible study for teen girls and this week our topic is modesty i write the lessons myself and of course on such an important topic i'm struggling with content do you have any tips about modesty i'd love to hear your thoughts Celine, on what you would tell to teen girls today about modesty and how to navigate that? Oh, yes. Well, first of all, I always tell them to be creative with their style because usually when you're being creative with how you're dressing, you start paying attention less to what's trendy and also what is appealing to the boys or whatever. Um, And you start dressing in a way that's just fun and you end up wearing more things when you're being creative. So I always tell them, hey, be as creative as possible. And when it comes to modesty, my big thing is telling, asking a young girl, like, does anybody get to deserve to have access to your body like that? Does anybody get to to be able to have that visual access to you? Because you are so precious and your body is something that really not nobody else should be able to just have access to. And so I try to put it in these terms of like, you know, would you just hand somebody your cell phone to look through? No, of course you wouldn't. That's your private business. And similarly with our bodies, not anybody should be able just to have access to it or, and even to have access to use your body in their minds. And we have to protect ourselves from that because our bodies are, we have to pay reverence to our bodies um, because it's a gift and we have to protect that gift. So, so that's kind of when I'm like talking to a young girl, like, Hey, you got to protect that gift, but also be creative with how you're addressing. Don't just settle for the trends. You have something important and unique to say in how you dress and you can express the beauty of your soul. So why don't you find some garments that match the beauty of your soul? Mm. I think those are great key thoughts. And it's so challenging because then you say that like, hey, you're precious, you're worth being protected, honoring your body. And I feel like it just falls on deaf ears so often today. It, it It's hard to hear, I think, during that season of being a teenager and being there. And it might sound great and ideal, but in practice, you don't have a lot of examples around. And that's why I think this isn't, Lily, when I was really thinking about it, like, I think it's great that this is a lesson for teen girls that's being discussed, but it's not a one and done conversation. Mm -hmm. Uh, That conversation when it's addressed in a family setting, whether it's dressed at youth group, at school, wherever it is, that's just the exclamation mark in the middle of a paragraph on modesty, because I think it's really shown and not told. You have to see examples of clothing that you actually like in a modest way. And that might not be the current fashion trend. And so I think when you say be creative with your style, Lillian, and have fun, that means for me, I kind of have to see it and practice somewhat to figure out what that looks like and how it could be perhaps flattering and comfortable on my particular body as well. Yeah. Well, what I love to do is search street style fashion on Pinterest. And it's funny because a lot of women will emerge like different different women who have been captured from street style photographers. And you'll see so many cool outfits. And it's really actually surprising how many are really modest. Um, I give presentations all the time to young girls about modesty. And I have all these photos across the entire my entire presentation of women who are so cool and so well-dressed and so modest 
But I'm pretty sure that these women are not necessarily Catholic or Christian, but they have this understanding of their worth and they're expressing that through their clothing and their creativity. And so there is, when you're searching for really authentic style, specifically on, say, like if you're going to look on Pinterest for street style, you you might be surprised at how many modest women actually end up popping up on there. Mm-hmm. And how often easy it is for people. I mean, I think what people are comfortable in are what they wear out more commonly rather than maybe perhaps what they dress up in for an event. So I do think that's really interesting. So street style fashion on Pinterest, something to go through if you're a parent trying to navigate ideas and again, find that style, be fun with about it and start to engage it. But at the end of the day, I think beauty really is an outward expression of the state of the soul. And sometimes there are a lot of things we're attached to as women that we have to navigate when it comes to our clothing and discovering modesty. That's Lillian Fallon. Be sure to check her out online. You can find her website, lillianfallon.com, along with her book, Theology of Style. We'll link to it on social media and in the episode notes. Thanks for being with us, Lillian. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Bill Maher, sports commentator Bob Costas, and the Atlantic staff writer Caitlin Flanagan all sat down discussing a rather dicey topic. That is men in women's sports. But hey, it's not politically correct to say that, so most people aren't going to call it for what it was. So as you hear some of the clips in this article, they may refer to politically correct language of trans this, trans that. It's ambiguous and confusing when you hear it, but at the end of the day, what we're talking about are men in sports that are meant to be played by women because it's a women's category. Now, I am intrigued by this because... Bob Costas is a Hall of Fame broadcaster. He has been the host at prime time covering 12 Olympic Games, nearly 30 years working with NBC. He's very well respected when it comes to the sports world. And I do find it interesting that here he is at the end of his career, 71 years old. He's not affiliated affiliated directly with any entity anymore. And he has some freedom to say whatever the heck he wants without risking the mob of the cancel culture. So he did this interview with Bill Maher, and it intrigued me. And one comment in particular, and he's not completely on board with men in women's sports, but he is favorable toward the transgender movement and ideology. So definitely don't agree with everything he says, but here's something interesting he referenced with regard to the fact that men in women's sports is really being governed by each individual entity. And for example, the National Boxing League, insanely, and he commented on this, have allowed men to compete against women, which is just unfathomable. Uh, but you haven't seen that on the highest levels with regard to sports. Hence why Will Thomas, who calls himself Leah Thomas, is taking legal action to fight so that he can not only try out in the Olympic qualifiers this June, but so that he might be competing in the women's sports category coming this summer. 
I can't believe we're even having this conversation. If you want my take on that, it's a really important one. I get into some of the legal elements of what's occurring right now. So go give a listen to that episode. I'll tag it here in the notes for the show if you want to look at the podcast notes when they're up. Anywhere you listen to podcasts or at relevantradio.com forward slash trending. Because this is an interesting case and there's a lot to be said about it. And I think it will really set a precedence moving forward on how this is navigated. But back to Bill Maher and Bob Costas. Sports commentator Bill Costas said the following with regard to men and women boxing together. Sugar Ray Leonard didn't fight Mike Tyson. They were contemporaries. Sugar Ray was a welterweight. Mike was a heavyweight. All right. If someday the best player in the WNBA can play in the NBA, everybody would applaud. But if the worst guy at the end of the bench on the worst team in the NBA went to the WNBA and averaged 40 points a game, everybody knows that's bull. This is interesting because he compares Mike Tyson and Sugar Ray Leonard. No one would put these two contemporaries against each other. Nor would you see anyone celebrating if a man was competing in the WNBA. But when a woman crosses over into men's, well, that would be considered a huge accomplishment. Why? What he's calling out is the reality of sports. It's impressive if a woman can measure up to a man at the highest level in athleticism. Why? Because there are differences between men and women. And that's fascinating to see. And what's interesting is that we have also the Atlantic staff writer, Caitlin Flanagan, who then weighs in her thoughts speaking to the differences in male-female sports. Listen to this. I think that we have to remember, you know, these kind of extreme cases, I hate that we have to talk about them so much because it makes... We have to say things that are cruel or hurtful in some, to right. some people. But, you know, women's and girls' sports, they weren't created as separate from men's and boys because of some weird gendered thing, like they have to wear pink and they have to wear blue. They're that way because of the profound sex differences between the sexes. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the reason. And, and, and it's just, you know, we don't hear about any trans male athletes on a d1 basketball team and you know it's the men that excuse me the trans women who seem to be using a natural advantage that comes from sex-linked traits you know we women we can't compete did you notice the slip up there she actually said what is true and probably what she thinks but she couldn't use it she had to she had to correct herself because lo and behold i bet you Her working for the Atlantic, she gets called out for using true words about true people. For example, Will Thomas being a man. And she had to say trans woman. I did find that really interesting because at the level of the Atlantic, here even perhaps on the Bill Maher stage, she probably had to agree to not be a, quote, transphobic and actually refer to people with their preferred pronouns and also refer to people uh, with their chosen identity. So instead of calling he a he, a man a man, to call the person a trans woman. So I did think that that was interesting because she has to correct herself, correct herself from true language. And this is, although it might seem, seem seemingly small, this is where we're seeing this regulation and mandatory speech that needs to be thrown out the gate. He's a he and we all know it. Don't be afraid to tell the truth. In fact, I think it's more honorable and more helpful than fueling a delusion. 
Delusions don't help people heal. And this is what we see when it comes to true therapy. As we know, the data is clear internationally. And this is why the United States is one of the few places where we cave to the trans ideology while other countries are shutting down their transgender therapy programs. They're shutting down various types of so-called care that is ushering people into an identity that isn't real or based in reality. Another interesting thought when we were diving into the topic of men playing in women's sports, because this is much of what the conversation is today, isn't it interesting that it's men who want to play with girls, with women? I think it's perverted. Or you could say it's prideful. For example, Will Thomas, what he he places 500th when he plays as a man or swims as a man. And then when he swims as a woman, he just knocks him out of the water. It is prideful if he thinks, well, I want so badly to participate and shine that I get to at all costs to the detriment of women. So it's either perverted, it's pride. But what we do know, and this is interesting, is that it's also idogynophilia. And if you don't know what that is, It's where straight men have a disordered arousal to dressing up as women. And Will Thomas, who calls himself Leah Thomas, has admitted that he has autogynophilia. So again, it gets back to this perverted and prideful side of things that the mainstream media and whoever he has for so-called medical care and so-called therapists, they're fueling a delusion. They're fueling something that is harmful for him and unfair and wrong for others, in particular women on this side. And the Catholic take on this is key because the Catechism of the Catholic Church stands true to our biblical history and identity as human beings, heading back to the very dawn of creation. Men are created as men and women as women. It was clear in the garden. They were naked. It was obvious. They understood the gift of the human body and at the level of the sexual complementarity, but also on the level of how the two interact in harmony. Now, the Catechism of the Catholic Church says sexuality affects all aspects of the human person and the unity of his body and soul. It especially concerns affectivity and the capacity to love and to procreate, and in a more general way, the aptitude for forming bonds of communion with others. In fact, the Catechism goes on to say that everyone, Man and woman should acknowledge and accept his sexual identity, his or her sexual identity. And did you catch that? Every human person is a unity of body and soul. And the catechism says that sexuality affects all aspects of the human person in that unity. It's significant when the church is saying that we need to, one, acknowledge and two, accept our sexual identity. This is a challenge for us as a culture today, whether it's you, yourself, and any wounds you may have experienced, whether it's children entrusted to your care, a loved one, a spouse, that we're seeking to know ourselves even more so in the acknowledgement of the reality that we were created in a particular way. And whether you were a man or you were created a woman, that you acknowledge that. You get to know what that means. Asking our Lord to make you feminine. Asking asking God to make you masculine. That we accept and embrace that identity. To accept the differences in ourselves from the other. And to embrace and accept the differences in the other. 
I always find it so intriguing that in a dating scenario at the beginning of a relationship, what is so fascinating is the otherness about the human being. Yet when you find yourself in marriage, it's the very thing we dislike the most. But at the end of the day, and this is what's interesting, when the Catechism of the Catholic Church discusses sex differences and how they impact all aspects of the unity of body and soul, it goes on to say that the harmony of society depends in part on the way in which the complementarity needs and mutual support between the sexes are lived out. Do you hear what they just said? The Catechism is saying the very harmony of society is dependent upon the way that men and women interact with each other, the way men interact with men, the way women interact with women, and the way the opposites engage, that the harmony of society is dependent upon the very identity God has given us. And so I think rather than obsessing about what's happening in the culture, about Will Thomas, who calls himself Leah Thomas and wants to compete in the Olympics, that we're digging down and doing some serious soul searching, prayer, And maybe even this Lent, asking our Lord, help me to live out this great gift of the person you created me to be. And ponder that in relation to your femininity, or if you're a man, to your masculinity. What does that mean? What things do I need to do to, as the saying goes, man up? What ways do I need to engage in that make me more feminine? Ponder that. Pray with it. And let Lord tra- the Lord transform your heart, your mind, your body, and your soul to enter into the ident- identity that He has in store for you. I'll be right back here on Trending, diving into the spiritual and corporal works of mercy, helping us as an aid this season in exercising one of those three penances that the church asks us to engage in, that is almsgiving, and how they're lived out in the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's Lent and we've got some work to do. I hope you made a plan. If you didn't, go listen to the episode. I'm going to link it in the episode notes where I dove into what would be a good place to start this line, and that is with your predominant sin. And if you don't know what that predominant sin is, I gave you some tips for trying to dive into and figure out what that is and to incorporate that into the threefold practice, this Lent, of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Why prayer, fasting, and almsgiving? Well, they are the three penances that the church prescribes for us for our conversion. And just looking at almsgiving in particular, it I truly see it as a means, and the catechism talks about this, of entering into this conversion, these acts of charity in relation to not just ourselves, but others and God, in particular almsgiving with regard to others. You could, in some respects, although all of these elements, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, impact our relationship with others, God, and ourself, in particular almsgiving. Because it takes that conversion that should be occurring, or maybe the appearance of conversion, and it takes it out into the world. But we are responsible 
for doing it for the right reasons or trying to do so. And that we're doing ultimately for God and out of love, that there's a growth in virtue occurring. And so when diving into almsgiving yesterday here on the show, I hope you'll listen to the episode. We'll link to that as well for a better definition of giving alms. It's not just tithing. It's so much more than that. And that's why it's considered a penance of the church. But one of the ways we can look at almsgiving is by knowing what the spiritual and corporal works of mercy are. Let's just run through them for a moment here. The corporal works of mercy include those things where we're going really outside of ourselves in engagement, feeding the hungry, to give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, shelter the homeless, visit the sick, visit the imprisoned, bury the dead. None of these are the easiest things to do. And I have found it fascinating if you're in a season of life and you just think, I can't incorporate one more thing. Maybe you have kids and Yet, many of these are things you do within your own family, but we're called to do so with charity and lovingly. You feed the hungry when you feed the people in your home. You give drink to the thirsty when you give drink to people in your home. You clothe the naked, literally, just think about diapers. Uh, You are also, at times, caring for the sick. And do we do that joyfully and sacrificially? I know for the first time we had the flu as a family of four a few weeks ago, the stomach flu. Thank God it was somewhat... um, it, tri- it it slowly trickled through us, so it wasn't all of us exactly at the same time. But being able to give yourself at that time of sickness, it's challenging. And to care for someone when they're sick and it's nasty and you're forced to because you're their parent, that's, it's difficult. But these corporal works of mercy, I just wanted to make sure I mentioned that within the home. Because St. Mother Teresa often spoke how our mission, our caring for the impoverished, really does begin first within our home. Stop looking to go out to the world and evangelize. Start right here where you're at in the concrete. You often don't have to go far to engage in the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. But also we are called to go out as well, to literally go and feed those who are poor and hungry on the streets. To give drink to the thirsty, to clothe the naked shelter the homeless, visit the sick, visit the imprisoned, bury the dead. Remember, I had a cousin who spent, served time in jail for quite an extended period of time, and my mom would take us. We would go pack up, make the appointment, walk down the scary halls, and go to visit him in the midst of all these inmates. And it's a different experience, especially if you do it when you're young. But it's something we're called to do. And maybe you don't have a relative who's imprisoned. You hear about prison ministry and you write it off as not my thing yet. This is part of what God's calling us to. And how do you have hope in the midst of that? I remember, how do you have hope? I remember visiting my cousin. How do you have hope when you can't even touch or feel them and when they turn off that phone to communicate because they're on the other side of that plexiglass you're talking to them and they can't even hear you because your time's up. How do you have hope in that moment for someone who is likely despairing? These are things that corporal works of mercy, we're called to have virtue. We're called to have strength in the midst of this so that we can love the other, helping to meet the needs of the other individual. As for the spiritual works of mercy, what are they? Instruct the ignorant, admonish the sinner, Counsel the doubtful, bear wrongs patiently, forgive offenses willingly, comfort the afflicted, pray for the living and the dead. 
I can look at this list and there's some that I do more easily and there are others that I do quite horribly. All for the grace of God. You look at this list and these are challenges between the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. And we could pridefully say, oh yeah, I can instruct the ignorant. I can admonish the sinner. I can counsel the doubtful. But think about counseling the doubtful. Think about the culture of despair that we're in and anxiety today and how counseling the doubtful is not telling people what to do, but it's often listening in the midst of that discomfort and being there and beckoning and encouraging them in to discover themselves, the love they're meant to have for God, and then choosing the right thing. When I think of this whole idea of instruct the ignorant, admonish the sinner, and counsel the doubtful, I think of the many comments that people who know Pope St. John Paul II made. And what they said was that he never told you what to do. That he would recommend. Not recommend, but like he would ask you questions and encourage you to find that truth, to come to the truth. And ultimately the question was, so what are you going to do about this? Also, when it comes to these spiritual works of mercy, you look at it bearing wrongs patiently. It takes humility. Forgiving offenses willingly. Again, that that takes humility. Comfort the afflicted. Pray for the living and the dead. Doesn't say just pray for those whom you love. Doesn't say just pray for those whom you're comfortable praying for. Because maybe you don't feel comfortable thinking about someone as deceased. Or maybe you like to assume that your deceased loved ones are just in heaven. It's not what the church teaches. It doesn't say, hey, everyone goes to heaven. We have a responsibility to pray for our loved ones after their death. And so as I look at these corporal and spiritual works of mercy, tying this again back to almsgiving, this is the second part in looking at what almsgiving is, this is a way to practice our almsgiving. And I think each of these will help us in exercising virtue. You see very easily in reading each one what virtues are very easily connected. I mean, charity is at the heart of all of them. Humility is at the heart of many. If you, str- I encouraged you earlier this past week to choose something to work on this Lent based on your most predominant sin. And if you don't know what that is, to do a deep dive to figure it out. And I'm linking to that episode if you've not started working. But I can see as I look at my predominant sin that I need to work on this Lent, and I look at this list of the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, I see exactly what I need to work on. And it collides directly with my predominant sin. And so go and exercise these spiritual and corporal works of mercy. Maybe you give yourself a particular task on a given day. And all through the grace of God, that is how it's done. And remember that often these works of mercy need to first be exercised within our own homes. With those who are in closest proximity to us. Those people we spend day to day. Think and ponder for a moment. How am I colliding when it comes to these spiritual and corporal works of mercy? Where is my conscience being pricked to engage, to disengage, to remain silent, to speak up, to do an action? Where? Because on one side, there are moments we're called to speak. On others, there are moments we're called to be silent and let go 
Other times we're called to simply act without words. Where are we doing that this Lent? And it shouldn't just be during Lent. I think it's a good practice to write down what these spiritual and corporal works of mercy are. Start to memorize them. Maybe you write them on a sticky note and put them on your mirror. When I like to remember something, I try to put it in a written place somewhere nearby. I'm trying to remember a new prayer, and so I have it on a big card and big font, and I have it right next to my washing machine and dryer. That's where it is for now. Sometimes I'll put the scripture passage on my mirror and I pass by. But these spiritual and corporal works of mercy are a real challenge. They're a real challenge for me. That's a good thing. That means that this is an opportunity to grow and to be transformed by the love Christ has for others. And that is why he's calling us to do these things. Because it's showing Christ's love to others, but in just him asking us to do so, he's entrusting his loved ones to us out of love for us. He's also calling us to do the very things that he does. And so as you're navigating this Lenten season, falling and rising in what you've committed to, whether it's too much, too little, or nothing at all, don't be afraid to go deep. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you to where you need to do some work so that the penances the church is asking us to take on with prayer, fasting, and almsgiving can truly be transformative. And we come out of the, this Lenten season into Easter truly singing the Alleluia song. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Friday, we'll dive into the five love languages with licensed marriage and family therapist Doug Hinder. Also, do you need some relationship advice? Therapist Doug Hinder will take your questions with a Catholic take. I recently heard a saying I really like, and it's relevant this Lent. Take care of your body as if you'll live forever. Care for your soul as though you'll die today. What does that mean for us? Join me daily, 6 p.m. Central, on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.